All right, hey, my name's Danny. I'm an alcoholic. And I got a sobriety date of January 2nd, 2012, and I'm super grateful for that date. And um, it's always an honor, an honor and a privilege to be asked to uh, speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm uh, extremely stoked. And uh, I just love Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not always love Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I didn't. You know, I've been, uh, I've done 10 treatment centers in my life. I've uh, did the Rock Center four times. I did the Friendship Shelter twice. I did a Cooper Fellowship Salvation Army. And I've spent 15 years of my life in the penitentiary. Not that I'm proud of, it's just part of my story. And um, I just always just uh, in and out of prison, in and out of rehabs, and these small moments of running amok. <laughs> And I liked that very much back then. A lot. <laughs> I did. You know, and uh, you know, it's so weird. Uh, I always uh, like to start out with this little story about the first time that I could uh, actually identify with the feeling, you know, which I was really like just uh, knew that this was the feeling. You know, I was 14 years old, and I was grounded, and I was living with my folks down in Newport Beach, and uh, my mom was a judge, and my dad was a private investigator. <laughs> really good people. I don't know what happened to me. but uh, And uh, I was grounded. I was 14 years old, and I was grounded, and um, my mom and dad were going out for the night, and they're like, okay, so you're grounded, you know, no friends, no TV, no phone stay here and we're going out for the night and we'll be back in a couple hours so make sure you're here and I'm like absolutely where am I gonna go you know I'm gonna be here and so they leave they take off and I'm like okay I got a couple hours to go screw around so I go down to the pier and I'm with my friends and uh, we're drinking Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. <laughs> yes! You know, we pimped it from the liquor store there and, uh, and uh, we're smoking weed and uh, we're having a good time, you know? And I'm thinking, all right, I gotta get back. My folks are gonna be home. So I go back to the house and as I'm walking up to the house, I'm looking. Is that their car? <laughs> their car's in front of the house. I am so burnt right now. This is going to suck. I'm like, this is going to suck. I think I'm not going in there. So I just made this decision that, you know what? I'm just never going to go home ever again. I'm, I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away. And, you know, I'll figure it out, right? So I leave and I go back down to uh, back down to the pier and I'm with my friends and we're drinking and smoking some more and getting screwed up and uh, it's getting kind of late and I'm telling my friends, hey, can I spend the night at your house? No. <laughs> can I sleep over at your house? They're like, no. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? I'm like, you know what, screw it. You know what, I'm going to go sleep in the sand out of the beach. And I walk out there, I stagger out to the sand, I lay down in the sand, I got my leather jacket, and my combat boots, and I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, kind of cold out here. <laughs> in the middle of January. I'm like, I'm like this kind of sucks. But there was this other feeling that was more powerful than that. It was a feeling that I'd been drinking and it gave me the courage to just basically tell the whole world to piss off. That I didn't have to listen to anyone tell me nothing. I could do whatever the hell I wanted to do. 
and I was drunk and I was wasted and I had courage to be able to tell everyone, hey, screw it. And I love that feeling. That feeling for me was freedom. Freedom. Freedom to do whatever the hell I wanted to do and I didn't have to listen to anyone tell me nothing. And I love that feeling very much. And then later, you know, I can remember when I was going to a treatment center and I was telling this, uh, this therapist, you know, and I'm telling her about the times that I was running and gunning and I had a pocket full of dough, a pocket full of money and I was just like out there and I'm just like glorifying it going, I'm so happy, it was a great time we had. And she told me, you know, that's not real happiness. Real happiness is achieving goals, self-esteem, you know, doing a good job, making other people proud. That's happiness. And I told her, yeah, I don't know about all that stuff, but I was very happy out there. I just couldn't keep it going, you know? I just couldn't keep it going. And, uh, you know, and so I'd go back out there. And it was so weird because, you know, there were times, there were, there were times too, where, you know, I'm in this garage for like 11 days working on a bicycle. <laughs> like polishing it, you know? And I can hear this little voice in the back of my head. And it's my mom's voice. And it's saying, Danny. You are so smart. You are so intelligent. You have so much potential. You could be anything you want to be. Can't you see that stuff is ruining your life? I'm like, she's right. What am I doing? This is, this is horrible. I need to go get sober. I'm going to go get sober and I'm going to quit this stuff and I'm going to get sober and I'm going to be freaking amazing. I'm going to get sober and I'm going to be amazing because this is not it. So back then I had to call a treatment center. I'd call the treatment center every day until I get a bed. Finally I get a bed and I get to that treatment center and I'm telling them it was a rock center. I'm telling them, they're telling me, okay, you know, uh, uh, you have to do this, 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 and this, you know, go to meetings, go to groups, you have a sponsor, you know, and uh, uh, hang up your cup and make your bed. And I'm like, I am so down. I am down. Whatever. You guys are saving my life. <laughs> right? And then two weeks later I'm holding hands with a bunch of weirdos in a prayer circle. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel amazing. <laughs> I think I overreacted. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, this is not it. Uh, you know, so I'd go back out there, you know? And it was so weird, too, because Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'd get in a treatment center, and uh, they would tell me, okay, you need to get a sponsor. You know, maybe we're going to take you to these AA meetings, you need to get a sponsor. I'm like, all right, you know, whatever, I'm going to get a sponsor. And uh, 
Uh, so I get a sponsor. I'm like, hey, will you sponsor me? I guess I need one. And they're like, all right. You have a big book? I'm like, yeah. They go, okay, I need you to read the doctor's opinion. And I need you to read Bill's story. And I need you to get your highlighter. And I need you to highlight stuff that you relate to. And I need you to call me every day. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> doctor's opinion. Hmm, Bill's story. A stockbroker from the 1930s, you know, drinking bathtub gin, rolling around with his wife in a sidecar, you know what I mean? Like, what the, what the hell is this shit? <laughs> like, Dr. Bob's a proctologist? Like, I don't know, like, what, like, what? I have nothing in common with these dudes. Maybe with Dr. Bob a little bit. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> But I'm like, I got nothing in common with these dudes. I'm a convict, junkie, criminal. You know what I mean? I like to shoot heroin. I like to smoke speed. You know what I mean? I like to drink whiskey and I like to do all this other crap. Hey, these guys don't know what it's like to be in prison and, you know, and doing time on the tier. These guys don't know what it's like to do all this crime and violence and all that. I don't identify with any of these guys. Like, what the hell? But see, the thing is... I was very shallow then. All I did was look at the differences. But there's this thing that crosses all boundaries. That's feelings. I know what pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization feels like. I know what it feels like to keep going after something thinking it's going to freaking work out and keep tearing it to pieces. I know what it feels like to be the biggest disappointment in my family's life even though I don't want to. I know what it feels like to keep over and over and over turning my life to crap and even though I don't want to. I know what it feels like to keep being compelled to keep messing with the substance and, and, and it's tearing my life to pieces and I can't stop it. So it's not the gin, it's not the whiskey, it's not the vodka, it's not the heroin, it's not the crack, it's not the Xanax, it's freaking me. See, that stuff is just a side effect, it's me. It's me and I can't stop tripping on my feelings all freaking day long. Just me and my feelings. I sit there and I just analyze the crap out of myself all day long. Like, Danny, do you want to uh, go to this job? Bzz, bzz. No, not really. I, 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 I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> do you want to go to this uh, meeting? No, nope, I don't. I don't. No, I, I, I don't. Do you want to get up out of bed? Bzz, bzz. Nope, I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just analyze the crap out of myself all day long. Can't see nothing. I can't see nothing. I can't see no, nobody. All I can do is see my feelings. Become a victim of it. Every day. You know, that's the thing is too, is I, I can never see anything. Can't see nothing. The delusion's so powerful inside of my head. You know, when I'm in prison, like, I think I'm like, I'm a solid dude. You know, I mean, I'm a solid soldier in prison. You know, and I got my celly, and I'm telling my celly, hey, check this out, homie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it is about respect and disrespect in here. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we don't let no one disrespect us. Because we're solid. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, that's right, homie. Yeah, fuck yeah. 
I'm like, we don't let anyone, you know, talk bad to us or anything because we'll get busy at the drop of a hat. He's like, yeah, we work out, we look good. It's like, yeah. And then I'm like, hey, you know what the problem with life is? Like, I know anything. I'm in my underwear waiting for chow. You know what I mean? In a prison cell. Like, I know it. Like, I know something. You know what I mean? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I don't know nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. You know, and I'm like, you know, it's, it still blows my mind that it's Alcoholics Anonymous that saved my life. Like, what the hell? Like, I thought it'd be like the secret writings of Nietzsche, you know what I mean? Like, I thought it'd be like the lost tombs of the Illuminati or something, you know what I mean? Because I read a lot of weird books in prison, like a lot of them. And uh, I still can't believe it's Alcoholics Anonymous. Mind-blowing. You know, and also when I'm in prison, I, I think I'm like this guy. You know, I got the yard, and I'm like just politicking and doing all this stuff. And, uh, and I'm also going to the phone. And I'm calling my mom. And I'm asking her, did you get that package list I sent? I'm going to the store next week. Can you put $50 on my books? Because I'm a man with nothing. I have nothing. I'm a man with nothing calling his mom to freaking provide and take care of me while I'm in prison. And I think I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm that guy inside my cell after getting a good workout in and I'm standing on the toilet because I'm kind of short and I'm standing on the toilet and I'm looking at my back arm in the little tiny mirror and I'm like, <laughs> I am solid. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> But I'm a man with nothing. And I wasn't a man with nothing like one time. And I'm like, hey, that did not work out. I was a man with nothing at 18, at 20, at 25, at 30, at 35, at 40, at 42. I was a man with nothing. Over and over and over again. And I thought I was like, cool. See, I can't see nothing. I can't see anything. I can't see people, places, things. I can't see the pain that I'm inflicting upon my mother or my family because the only thing I see is myself and my feelings. And that's more important than anything. You know, i share this with you. I read this letter. And it was uh, this letter, it was in this historical fiction book, and it was from King George III, and he wrote this letter to one of the townspeople, and he signs it at the bottom of that letter, and he signs it, Your Humble Servant, King George III. And I thought, Your Humble Servant? You're a king. You have a castle. You have an army. You have uh, armies and castles and gold and riches and land. Like, you are a king. What do you mean you're a humble servant? What does that mean? But if you think about it, all the greatest kings and queens and leaders of the planet that ever gone down in history, they have one thing in common. They put the welfare of the people ahead of their own. A leader that serves himself by himself for himself all day long is a freaking tyrant. I was a tyrant in my life. 
It was all about me and I was serving absolutely nobody. It was all about what I could get from life. Who's going to give me stuff? You know, I'd be in a, you know, I had it so screwed up in my life that I always thought that like, you know, and if somebody loves me, they'll give me stuff. If they don't love me, they don't give me anything. That's what I always thought. I'd be at some treatment center getting pissed off at my family because they won't come visit me on Saturdays. Or they won't bring me cigarettes. And I'm like a 35-year-old man. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> see, I had it all screwed up. I could never see anything. Because all I kept seeing is my feelings. Over and over and over again. And I kept going back to prison. You know, this one time I was in prison, you know, they gave me 10 years, right, for this. They want, I was going to court for like two years fighting this case. They wanted to give me 70-something years. That was my uh, uh, maximum exposure on that case. And I'm fighting this case, and I'm fighting this case, and finally they gave me 10 years. So in that time, two years before I got out, I'm like, you know what my problem is? <laughs> Every time I parole, I don't have a plan. I parole and I don't have a plan. So this time I'm gonna come up with a plan. I'm gonna come up with a plan and I'm gonna, you know, I got a little time here and I'm gonna like, you know, check out this plan. I'm gonna go to school and I'm gonna write these colleges and I'm gonna focus all my, because I have all this intelligence and this potential. I'm gonna do the best I can. So I wind up writing all these colleges. I wind up getting all these school books and I was taking notes every day and like writing essays every day. And then when I got, and I had a little picture of my daughter up on the wall where I'm holding her hand and I'm walking out to the beach and I'm like, that's gonna inspire me. And it did inspire me while I was there. And then when I got out, I stuck to the plan. But see, the thing is, I thought that, uh, I thought an addict or an alcoholic was a person that drinks once and they're off and running and they just throw everything away. I thought an addict was a person that uses once and then they throw everything away immediately after. That's what I thought. So I didn't think that I had that kind of a problem because when I got out, I went to the bar and I drank. And then I went to school. And then I was getting, you know, I had like a, almost a 4.0 grade point average and I was taking 19 units some semesters and I was killing it. My freaking, my instructors loved me, my mom loved me, my parole officer loved me, everybody loved me. They were all stoked on me and I'm going to the bar occasionally and I'm drinking occasionally and I'm still kicking ass and I, everything's great. And then one time at the bar this guy says, want to do some coke? And I'm like, I'll do a little coke. <laughs> My heroin's my problem. <laughs> I do a little coke, and then, uh, uh, and then I wind up, you know, a couple weeks later, I do a little heroin, and then I'm like, no problem. And I'm not off and running. And what we call it is called chipping. Like we're just chipping. You know what chipping turns into? Chunking. <laughs> and I was chunking bad. You know, you know, like blowing it, you know, because if I take anything and put it on my body, it kicks off the obsession. And the obsession might take a week, it might take six months, it might take a freaking year. But in the end of it all, I will be obsessed and I won't be able to stop doing, doing, uh, being, using that substance, doesn't matter what it is. I won't be able to stop. I'll tell myself in the interim, while I'm screwing around a little bit, like, I am doing great. I just shoot heroin on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know do great. So I wound up, uh, um, anyway, so I wound up, 
I wound up uh, going back to uh, prison, you know, and here's something else too, before I went back to prison is because the difference between a non-alcoholic and an alcoholic, there's this one explanation. A non-alcoholic, a person will have hopes and dreams and goals and things they want to achieve in life. They will want to have houses and dignity and courage and respect. They want to, you know, have things to be proud of and have a great family and all these things in life. And they will, they will go out one weekend to like Burning Man. And they will do ecstasy, and they will drink, and they'll eat a tab of acid, and then they'll come back, and they'll like, hold on. Wait a minute. I will not be able to be a good father, and to be a good husband, or be a good spouse, and I will not be able to have a good career, and I won't be able to appreciate these things if I keep doing that shit. So they'll change their behavior in order to achieve their goals. You know what we do? We change our goals. I didn't want that house anyway. You know what I mean? Like, screw that house. You know, that job was so freaking lame. You know what I mean? I didn't want that crap anyway. That chick I married, she's a bitch. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I, didn't get to, I don't even like her. You know? <laughs> so that at one point, when I was getting to and all this school stuff and I was going to have this career, I told myself, I go, who the hell was I kidding? I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be a good son. Everything's going to be great. And I'm like, who the hell was I kidding? I'm a convict junkie criminal. I'm a person that just disappoints everyone. That's who I am. I'm not going to be this thing. So I wound up taking my daughter... And I took her to my mom's house. And I told her, get out of the car. She was 14 at the time. I told her, get out of the car, go inside to grandma's. And she was crying and she was saying, don't, don't daddy. Go in and talk to mom. I told her, I gotta go. You gotta get out of the freaking car. She got out of the car and she was standing there on the curb and I drove away and I was looking at her in my rearview mirror. I had to go. Because I thought that was the hand that God dealt me, that I was going to be this convict junkie criminal and I was going to die, die on the streets or go to prison forever or somehow become like Pablo Escobar. <laughs> Fuck. I went back to prison for three more years. This last time when I got out, um, I went back to prison for three more years. They gave me 32 at 80, and I did 30 months on that, and they, uh, for .05 of some little crap, and uh, when I got out of prison, I was 42 years old, and uh, this guy was on the bus, and he was looking at me, and I was looking at him, and he's like, hey, homie, you just parole? And I'm like, yeah. And he's all, where are you going? I'm like, Santa Ana. He's like, me too. And he's like, you got any of that gate money left? And I'm like, yeah, I got like 100 something left. He's like, cool. Because there's this chick around the corner from the bus station, and she's got the bomb shit. And there's this little bar by her house. You want to go there? And I thought, I'm 42 years old. I just got out of prison for the millionth time. I, I ain't got shit to my name. And uh, uh, actually, I didn't think that at all. I looked straight at that dude, and I said, can we walk there? <laughs> And we went over there. 
And I'd call my mom at that time too, and I'd call my mom too, and I'd, I'd say, hey mom, I just got out of prison, or I just got out, I'm coming home, and I can't wait to see you and Kayleen, that's my daughter, and it's going to be great, and I got these job opportunities, it's going to be cool, and uh, uh, you know, I can't wait to see you. And she said, Danny, I'm glad you called. I have cancer, I'm going to die, and you will never set foot in this house ever again. You're 42 years old. You're going to die from a heroin overdose or you're going to do something stupid and go to prison for the rest of your life. Don't call your daughter. Don't call anybody. No one cares. You know, you stay away. Take care of yourself. That's what my mom told me. She was protecting herself from me because I've done nothing but disappoint her. So seven days later, I'm in this freaking weird house with this weird dude, and we're winding up, we're doing all this freaking dope, and uh, we're doing all, all this dope, and uh, going crazy, and uh, we're laughing, and like I'm like, who are we going to get? Who are we going to come up on? He's like, oh, I got these licks, and I got these things happening. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great, and all this stuff, and I look over the corner of the room, and there's this black trash bag in the corner of the room. You know what was in it? Everything I own. Two pairs of pants that my mom bought me. Some hygiene that my sister bought me. And a bag of all these prison letters full of all these people that I was writing when I was in prison about how I'm going to do great when I got out. I was a man with nothing. And I didn't want to be a man with nothing. Everything I was in that moment, I never wanted to be. I didn't want to be a pile, a pile of crap father. I didn't want to be a, a son that my mom didn't even want to see me. I didn't want to be a man with nothing. I didn't want to be this guy. And here I am at 42, this man with nothing. And then someone said, <laughs> she was there. And someone had told me, you know, you got some friends over at this program called Wood Glen. Might want to go over there. So I called that program, I got into the detox, and uh, I heard this thing. Oh, I better start going with this thing. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. All right, so I went to that program, and I'm in that program, and I heard this thing. This guy came in on this panel, and uh, he had said, and he said, he goes, you know, the program isn't just like all of a sudden you're going to put the plug in the jug, and you're going to be amazing, the, and you're going to stop doing that stuff, and you're going to be awesome. The program's at 12 steps. And I thought, you know what? I've been to 10 treatment centers. I've been to 10,000 freaking meetings. I've been to all these stuff, and I've never done the 12 steps. And I was that kind of guy that talked crap on the 12 steps. And I thought, I've never done the 12 steps. So I made this inner commitment that no matter what I think and no matter what I feel, I'm going to complete all freaking 12 steps. And that was a weird epiphany because I knew I was going to feel like not doing it. I knew I was going to talk crap on it, but I was going to do it anyway, no matter what I think and no matter what I feel. So I got a sponsor, and I was calling him every day, and I was so weird calling your sponsor every day. That's weird. <laughs> Like, hey, I'm calling you today again. <laughs> 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 
Same shit as yesterday. You know what I mean? Like, nothing new. I'm still here. You know? Like, okay, call me tomorrow. <laughs> so I called him on this one day, and he goes, okay, we, you know, we got through that first step. I admit I'm powerless. I ain't got nothing. That's what my power gets me. I get it. Step two, came to believe in the power of myself could restore to me to sanity. Basically, you know what? I'm running on, like, you know, 50 octane fuel, and, uh, you know, that's what I get, a black trash bag, so I just need a better octane fuel to have a better life. I'm like, I get that, okay? Hire another power. Got it. And also, I'm insane. I didn't really feel insane. I was kind of like on a low roll. <laughs> but okay. Then he goes, okay, the third step. Did you write the third step prayer down five times? And did you memorize that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. He goes, okay, I'll be there in a few minutes. So he comes over to the treatment center. He comes in his big old truck and he uh, picks me up. And then we go to Burger King. And we're in the Burger King parking lot, and he gets me a burger, and he got me a pack of smokes, and uh, we're in the cab of his truck, and he goes, okay, now recite, say the third step prayer with me. And he reaches over, and he grabs my hand like this. <laughs> and we say the third step prayer. God, I myself to thee to build me, do the best I will, to be the body of self, got through it, and he lets go of my hand. And he looks over at me and he smiles. <laughs> and he goes, now I don't want you to go a day without hitting your knees and saying that third step prayer. You know what I felt turning my will and my life over to the care of God, saying that third step prayer with this man holding his hand in the cap of his truck? You know what I felt? Very weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> I just did. I did. I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> and he tells me, and I told him, I go, hey, here's the thing, bro. Like, I go, and I don't care. We used to do drugs together. We used to party together years and years and years ago. And, uh, uh, and that's one of the reasons I asked him to sponsor me is because, you know, he's got 20 years now. And uh, one of the reasons I asked him to sponsor me is because he had 14 years at the time, and I'd watched him, and he just stayed in the program. And I was bouncing in and out, bouncing in and out, and he just stayed. And his life got in exponentially better. I kept seeing him, and I kept coming back, and he kept being happy. I kept coming back, and he kept getting, you know, houses. And then his kids, and his children, and then his grandchildren. And he kept, he was always happy and always welcoming. I'm like, this is cool. So... I told him in the cab of his truck, and I said, you know, here's the thing. And I go, look, I don't believe in God. Like, I just don't. I don't believe that there's some magic man upstairs going, I got good stuff for you doing my will. And I got nothing for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't believe that there's some dude up there. I just don't. And uh, it's weird. And I go, so, so me on my knees every day praying to a God I don't believe in, like, it just makes no sense to me. So I'm probably, like, not going to do that. Like, let's just do this thing with something else. You know? Can we? <laughs> and he goes, basically he told me, to do, he basically told me, he goes, you know, you just say there is no God. Those are your ideas. You not wanting to hit your knees. Those are your ideas. Where's your happy family, Danny? Want nothing to do with me. Where's your home? Do you have a home? Not your mom's home. Your home. Not that treatment center. 
Do you have a car? Bank account? Health insurance? Career? Then he said, where's your key to any lock? So basically your ideas get you nothing. So maybe the solution to your life is being presented to you right now, but you can't see it because you're so full of your own ideas. And plus he's all, and when I asked, when, I, when you asked me to sponsor you, you said you're willing to do whatever it takes. All right, I'll do the knees thing. Stop making me feel so bad. I'm like, whatever, bro. So serious, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You know what prayer's like? Prayer's like if I got this giant bowl of M&Ms, like a thousand M&Ms in this bowl, and I take one out, do you notice a difference? If I take one more M&M out of that bowl, do you notice a difference? Well, one more. That's why we stop praying, because we don't notice a difference. But day after day upon my knees, being very embarrassed on my knees because I didn't want anyone to see me praying to this God, praying to the air, praying to the universe and the stars. You know I mean? Day after day on my knees, one more M&M was coming out of this bowl. And then my third step, and another M&M, and then my fourth step, my fifth step, more and more M&Ms were coming out of this bowl. And I started feeling lighter, and I started feeling braver, and I started not tripping on myself so much. And I was being able to see people in a different way. And I started liking myself, and I started liking my little job. I was on a bicycle for like 18 months, and I started... I, I didn't care. I wasn't tripping on things like I always tripped on. And more and more M&Ms were coming out of this bowl. More and more M&Ms were coming out of the bowl. And I started feeling better about my life. Something started happening to me. You know who I am today? The man I'm supposed to be. I don't feel superior to anybody and I don't feel inferior to anybody and I don't want to be anybody else other than the man that I am. I no longer sit around going, I wish I was like that. I wish I was that person. I wish I was that. I'm not good enough like that. that, that, I, that that's all gone. I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be and I like the guy I am. You know why I don't want to do drink whiskey, drink a beer, smoke a joint, shoot heroin, smoke crack? You know why I don't want to do that stuff? Not because it's going to ruin my life. Because I don't want to change the way I feel. At all. None of that stuff is going to make me feel better than the man, I, than the way I feel right now. I've never operated with more dignity, courage, and respect in my entire life. My mom today, she's cancer free and I'm welcome in her house at any freaking time. <laughs> she cries tears of gratitude, happiness, and joy. You know what those M&Ms were? Fear. Anger. Hate, pride, judgment, guilt, shame, ego. All these things that kept making me trip the hell out of myself. And when those things started getting removed, I started feeling better. That's the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I see things in a way I never have before. I care about people in a way that I never have before. I care about people. I care about my family. I care about myself. This is the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't, it still blows my mind that I could feel this way. This started happening about within my first year. 
And I've been that way. You know, they talk about that pink cloud, like, oh, when your pink cloud bursts, you better get ready. <laughs> Reality's going to slap you in the face. <laughs> I'm still in a pink cloud, like, and I'm digging it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it hasn't burst. You know what I mean? The thing is about serenity to me is what serenity means to me is because, you know, I've always been able to use serenity in a sentence. You know, like, I know what serenity means. But serenity means to me today, it means acceptance. It means that no matter what comes in my life, I've got challenges, difficulties, fears, and frustrations. I'm not perfect, and some big stuff is going to come into my life, but today I can accept them all. As opposed to before, where I was like a little bitch. <laughs> and I'd complain about everything. Today I can handle anything that comes my way. Because even if it's hard, I know it's going to turn me, it's, it, it, it's for me. And it turns me into, do I believe in God today? Absolutely. I can't take credit for something I've never been able to achieve. I pray on my knees every day in my third and seventh step prayer. And I'll end with this. I've seen two things change people in this life. One is drugs and alcohol. That changes people bad. That changes us into the people that the people that love us the most, they used to say, whenever I looked at you, you made me so happy. Whenever I saw you, you just filled my heart with joy. Now when I look at you, all I feel is pain. That's what drugs and alcohol turns us into. The other thing that I've seen change people is these 12 steps. They will change you into the person you're meant to be. It happened to me and millions of other people out there. I'm so grateful. Thank you, you guys. <laughs> yeah. That was great. <laughs>